We can and we will rejoice this morning, for Christ is God. Christ is our victor over sin and Satan and death. Christ is the only alive from the dead leader of any world religion. Christ is proven and satisfactory payment for our sins. Christ is alive and at work. Christ is alive to change us who believe in him. Christ is the first fruits of all who sleep in death. Christ is the certainty that we will live after we die. We will rejoice for Christ is the certainty that we will see our redeemed loved ones who have passed from this earth onto heaven. We can and we will rejoice this morning. Christ is alive and seated at the Father's right hand and interceding for us as believers. We will and we must rejoice because our risen Christ is coming again to earth for the rapture of his bride first and then to set up his judicially, perfectly righteous kingdom on earth. Please pray with me again. Heavenly Father, we can and will rejoice in Christ's resurrection this morning. And as we turn in our Bibles to one verse for today, speak to us what we need to hear about your son's resurrection. Fortify us in what needs resurrection power in our lives. Convince us of the historical certainty of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Embolden us in what we need to say and how we need to live before others. Settle us in the cross one and tomb emptying proven forgiveness of our sins. Comfort us, the bereaved, some for a few months and other bereaved for many years. Comfort us with resurrection truth. Focus us in worship of the resurrected Savior, Father. Educate us in how our resurrected bodies will be like. And Lord, please give salvation to those of us who may lack it, those currently outside of faith in the cross and empty tomb of Christ. Almighty God, we worship you together for causing your son to rise to life after his death. And we pray, Father, in the risen one's mighty name together, amen. If you were with us on Good Friday, you'll remember that we looked at one verse, a half verse actually, Romans 4, verse 25, part A, which says, he, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions. He, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions. And at that time on Good Friday, we saw two things. We saw transgressions and we saw justice. We saw our own transgressions and we saw God's justice. Further, we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified because of our transgressions and because God's justice demanded that payment be made for the sin debt of a world full of sinners. 
And now this Resurrection Lord's Day morning, we look at the second half of Romans 4.25, the half verse that says, and was raised because of our justification. And was raised because of our justification. On Good Friday, we had the letter R and the letter J. We had rebellion and justice. And this Resurrection Lord's Day morning, we're going to stick with the same letters of R and J. This time this morning, resurrection and justification. Resurrection and justification. I want to take these two one at a time. First, resurrection. We should more properly say bodily resurrection. The Christian scriptures teach a bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you some things that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is not. Things that those who deny the scriptures contend that it might be. The bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is not merely an ideal, not a myth. Not a legend, not in spirit only kind of a resurrection, not a resuscitation, certainly not a reincarnation. Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection is not an illusion, it's not a trick, it's not a ghost, it's not some nice religious concept. No, it isn't. The Lord Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection, to go further, was not some staged deception. It was not an honest mistake. It was certainly not a lie mistakenly calculated. The Lord Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection was not an unprovable claim, nor was it a misunderstanding of cosmic scale. Instead, all of these things which Christ's bodily resurrection is not. Instead, let us turn to some of the things which Christ's bodily resurrection is. Christ's resurrection is literal. Not imagination, not hallucination, not simile, not metaphor, not symbolism, not philosophy, not wishful thinking, and certainly no figure of speech. Christ's resurrection is bodily. He actually arose in a body. Head, hands, feet, tongue, eyesight, hearing, the ability to eat food. Christ's resurrection is empirical. He was observed, he was touched, he was heard after his resurrection. Jesus Christ's resurrection, to go further, is real. He ate fish. His disciples all died as martyrs because of a real bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' bodily resurrection is recognizable. Nail holes in his precious resurrected hands. A spear wound in his resurrected side. Going on, Christ's resurrection is repeatable in this regard. Believers were bodily resurrected on Good Friday. Remember, as Jesus Christ died to pay the sin debt, there was an earthquake in Jerusalem as the Palestinian midday skies went jet black as night. There was an earthquake and the graves of believers in Jerusalem, some opened, and those who were interred in those graves, their bodies were raised to resurrection. 
In that sense, Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection is repeatable. Furthermore, church-age believers like all of us will be bodily resurrected if we die before the rapture of the church. And there, of course, will be a general sobering bodily resurrection to judgment of all the unbelievers of all the ages from Adam and Eve until the ushering into the kingdom. Jesus Christ's resurrection is why we worship week by week on Sundays rather than Saturdays. The Jewish Sabbath of the Old Testament was not Sunday. The first day of the week, it was rather the seventh day of the week. But since Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead on the first day of the week, those who love him, those who believe in him, those who follow him, those who serve him, we, a time of our worship was changed historically in the book of Acts to the Lord's Day, not the Sabbath, to mark the resurrection of the head of the church, the savior of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yes, Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection is life and eternity changing. Believers in Christ right now are made new. Our old self is crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, and we have been co-resurrected with Christ right now to newness of life. Oh yes, Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection is life-changing, but of course it's also eternity-changing. Believers in Christ die at peace because they are assured of heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the risen Lord. And Jesus Christ's resurrection in the last case is historical. Even the unbelieving Jewish historian Josephus records that Jesus of Nazareth was seen after being dead. And so we go back to where we want to focus this morning to Romans 4, verse 25, second half of the verse, and was raised because of our justification. Not only is there resurrection here in Romans 4, 25, part B, there is also justification. And so our second point, this resurrection Lord's Day morning, is justification, The first point was resurrection. Now we're on to our second point of two this morning, justification. Justification is a Bible word, a Bible word that needs simple and accurate definition. Justification is God's act. It's not our work. God's act of acquitting sinners who take Christ as Savior by faith and declaring them Righteous. If you are resting in the finished work of Christ this morning, if he is your Lord and Savior by faith, God has performed a marvelous act on you of acquitting you of your sins and declaring you to be righteous. Never get over that. Let's look at this act of God for the believer in Jesus Christ when God acquits us as sinners and declares us to be righteous. First of all, justification is a, like a beautiful diamond. 
And justification, God's act of acquitting, believing in Christ's sinners and declaring us righteous is like a diamond that has beauty no matter what angle at which you look at this diamond. Let's see some of the beauty of justification. Number one, justification's source is God the Father. Number two, justification's basis is the shed blood of Christ. Number three, justification's essence is grace, undeserved favor. Justification's agent is the Holy Spirit. Justification's instrument is faith. Justification's outworking, how it shows up, is good works. We only can do good works, we only want to do good works, because God has first justified us. And for the purposes of this half verse and for the purposes of Resurrection Lord's Day, the last point to make about justification is this, that justification's proof is the resurrection of Christ. You require proof, believer, that you have been justified? Look at the empty tomb in Jerusalem. Consider the bodily resurrection of your Savior Because it says in our verse for this morning, he, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions, watch it, and was raised because of our justification. The proof of God's justification of the believer in his son is that God the Father raised the son bodily from the dead. That's the proof. After Jesus Christ's death on the cross... If we believers in him were not justified, then God the Father never would have raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But, however, because God the Father did in fact raise Jesus Christ from the dead, we who believe in Christ can know for certain that we are justified. We can know for certain that we are acquitted of our sins. That we are declared by God righteous. And brothers and sisters, that is marvelous blessing, not just to celebrate on Resurrection Lord's Day, but every day. That we can know for certain as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can know for certain every day of the year, every moment of every day of the year, after we mess up, we can know for certain nonetheless that we are acquitted of our sins and declared by God to be righteous. This is marvelous blessing. Romans 4.25, he, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This is the marvelous blessing of rebellion, ours, and justice, God's, on Good Friday. This is the marvelous news of resurrection, Jesus Christ, and justification, God's, the Father's declaration that we be made righteous as believers. This is the marvelous blessing of the cross and the marvelous blessing of the empty tomb. One of the most important and clear 
definitions of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. In my first pastorate in southwestern Ontario, there was a hitchhiker that I happened to pick up, and he needed some money, and I believed him, so I didn't have any on me, so I went to the ATM at my bank to get him a train ticket to where he was going. And on the way, he knew I was a pastor because he met me at the church building. He said, the gospel this, the gospel that, the gospel so on. So I just asked him, I said, what, to you, what is the gospel? Well, I'll tell you what, he gave me the wildest answer. It was esoteric. It was, it was all over the map with philosophical terms. I had no idea what he was telling me after he said, what is, I said to him, what's the gospel? Fortunately, I didn't cram it down his throat, but fortunately, he looked at me after he went into his diatribe and said, what's the gospel to you? I said, Christ died for sins and arose. Period, stop, sentence. He looked at me like, it can't be that easy. Christ died for sins and arose. That's the gospel. If you're here this morning and You've been looking for the gospel and looking for forgiveness and meaning in life. It's as easy as Christ died for your sins and arose to tell you that they're paid for. Listen to inspired scriptural definition of the gospel, the one that I shared with the hitchhiker. Christ died for sins and arose. Listen. Paul says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received in which you stand, by which you also are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Wasn't his bright idea. Paul received this true message, this true gospel, which is to be then of first importance and still today to be of first importance to us. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. There it is. According to the scriptures, that is, his death on the cross for sin was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. And that he was buried. The proof that he died for our sins was they buried him. Professional mercenary executioners pronounced him dead. And because they did, those who loved him buried him in a tomb. The gospel is first that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Here's the second part of the gospel. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The Old Testament prophets said Messiah would rise from the dead after dying and that he appeared. If burial was the proof that he died, that appearing after he had died alive was the proof of his resurrection. And so the whole gospel is as simple and as complete. On the one side, Christ died for sins. And on the other side, he arose. The person who understands and believes that Jesus Christ died for their sins in their place and further believes that God the Father raised him after he was dead, that person can be saved. Maybe that's your biggest need here this morning. Christ died for sins and arose. 
And so the marvelous blessing of Romans 4.25 has that right in it. He, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions, that is, he died for sins and was raised because of our justification, that is, he rose. You marry the two together, you've got the whole gospel. One half without the other is not the gospel. The gospel is that we believe that Jesus Christ died for sins, but that's not all. He rose. Is that what you believe? And so we come this resurrection Lord's Day morning and we contemplate together the marvelous blessing of the cross and the empty tomb. And to go back to the logic of Romans 4.25b, if we had no transgressions, then Christ would not have been crucified. But we do have transgressions, plenty of them. And Christ did die for our transgressions on the cross. And in so doing, he satisfied God the Father's holy justice. And sticking with Romans 4.25, the second part, and if we were not justified as believers, if we were not justified as believers, then God the Father never would have resurrected his son from the dead. But he did. And the Father did resurrect his son from the dead because those of us who believe in Christ alone for salvation are justified, 100%. That's why the Father raised Christ from the dead, among other things, to tell us, to prove to us, to assure us that when we trust him to be our savior, the one who died for our sins and who rose again, when we trust those things, God decides to acquit us as sinners and declare us righteous. May we never get over it. And so the obvious question, are you justified by God? Has God acquitted your sins? If the basis for your answer to those questions doesn't center in Christ, but it centers in you, I'm a church member, I was baptized as an infant, I do more good than bad, I'm not as bad as my neighbor down the street. If the basis of your answer to my question, are you justified by God? Has God acquitted you of your sins? If your answer is rooted in you, it's like Larry Moyer's eight-year-old son when he was in a Walmart in Texas and he had trained his son young to search for people's eternal standing and place with Christ or no place with Christ yet in the gospel. And his wife, Tammy, turned to a Walmart cashier and said, do you know for sure when you die, you go to heaven? And the cashier said, I don't know. I sure hope so. I'm trying to do my best. And eight-year-old David looked up and said, tell her about Christ, Mom. She ain't going to make it. <laughs> Dear one, if your answer to the question, are you justified by God, has God acquitted you of your sins, starts with you, you ain't going to make it. But if you come to see that God will justify you as you place your full and complete faith on the finished work of Christ who died for your sins, 
if you come to the conclusion that you must trust Christ and Christ alone because he was raised from the dead to show that your sins are paid for, then you are going to make it. Which is for you. Jesus said and meant, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was Josh McDowell who said that there are one of three possibilities given that Jesus said that. Either he was a liar, he knew it was not true, and he said it anyway. Or he was a lunatic, he thought it was true, but it wasn't. Or he was Lord. Jesus Christ is not a liar, nor is he a lunatic. He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he your Lord? Don't leave here today until you get that matter settled. Now, I want to turn to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to turn to each of us, including myself. And what is the half verse and was raised because of our justification? What does that mean? What does, difference does that make? Is this, is this all just theory? Is this all just Sunday school lesson and preaching fodder? What difference does that make to us as believers in Jesus Christ who believe that Christ has died for our sins and has rose from the dead? What difference should that make? Well, I'm here to submit to us this morning that Christ's bodily resurrection must change us. And Christ's bodily resurrection ought to preoccupy us. And Christ's bodily resurrection certainly should encourage us. In the first pastorate I had, the church building and property was right next to a cemetery. And I found that I was most alert in prayer when I would pray moving and not sitting at my desk. Some people are fine doing that. I find my mind goes too many different places when I'm just seated at my desk. So often I will move as I pray. I will have a prayer list with me and I will walk. And I came to find it a wonderful practice to walk in the cemetery of our little town with my prayer list. And as I would pray, I would think about the flock I was pastoring. I would think about their extended family. I would think about the mayor and this alderman of the town. I would think about the persons in that town as I walked by gravestones. And I realized eventually, as I prayed and walked by every tombstone in that whole cemetery, there was going to be a resurrection for every single one of those people. But not the same kind. One variety of resurrection for the bodies in that cemetery will be a resurrection under judgment. The great right throne judgment. Unbelievers. The other kind and variety of resurrection in that cemetery will be the resurrection of believers to righteousness. Tell you what, it brought my evangelistic thoughts, prayers, and efforts into focus. When you realize as I did, I trust you can and will, when you realize that everyone you meet has an eternal soul, 
and they all will live after they die. The only question is, where will they live? In a Christless eternity without Jesus? Or in the splendors of heaven with Christ? This should change us. We should not walk around Nassau only confident that we will live after we die in heaven. We must walk around Nassau with a burden for the people we are meeting who will live after they die and they won't be in heaven yet. It should make a difference. You see, theology should lead to transformed living and doctrine should lead to practical duties and truth should lead to obedience and the Bible should lead to meditation on the Bible and miracles should lead to faith and scriptural revelation should lead to worship and studying Christ's resurrection should lead to banking on it. And believing in Christ's resurrection should lead to sharing the gospel. Theology should transform how we think and how we live. Accepting Christ's resurrection should lead to discernment regarding false religions and cults. You know there are plenty on this island, right? Accepting Jesus Christ's resurrection should lead to discernment regarding false religions and cults. Agreeing with Christ's resurrection should lead us to no fear of death. Oh yes, for sure and without a doubt. Theology should lead to daily transformation. I have a homework assignment for any of you who'd like to take up on it. I have five questions that I have made into a handout that the ushers have as you dismiss today. If you'd like to do the homework, just ask for a handout. These are five questions I challenge every believer here to take time on their own time studying the word of God for themselves to come to find answers in. You don't have to write down these questions because they're already printed on a hands out if you want it. The first question I challenge this body of believers to answer, why do Romans 4.25 and 1 Corinthians 15.1-5 go together? Second question on the handout, how does Christ's resurrection impact my sanctification? Sanctification is God's work of setting the born-again Christian apart for his own possession and use. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have impact on sanctification? Third question, what would cause me to think about Christ's resurrection more? For me, that was praying in the cemetery. That'd be a good question to answer. And for those of you who have family units that believe in Jesus, these five questions could form a basis of a little devotion you would have as a family, uh, probably one night to each question, I would think. Fourth question, what does it mean when the New Testament says that we are raised with Christ? What does that mean? And last question on the challenge, how 
Should the fact of me being co-resurrected with Christ show up in my day-to-day life? Those would be good questions to seek answers from in the scriptures. To answer those questions would do you well. And you may get that list of the five questions if you would like it on your way out this morning. He, Christ, who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached to you, which also you received in which Also you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Christ is risen. Say it. Christ is risen. Absolutely. Will you pray with me in closing? Risen Lord Jesus Christ, we are favored in you. You have been raised from the dead to prove the forgiveness of our sins, to prove that we have been declared righteous, to pave the way for our resurrections to be seated in the heavenly places far above every name that is named. You have been raised from the dead and you are now our advocate before the Father in heaven and you will return to earth. Lord Jesus, you have been raised from the dead and you will one day set up your kingdom as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We see now that your cross and empty tomb are linked. Good Friday is linked to Resurrection Lord's Day. And so risen Lord Jesus Christ, for those here today who are not yet saved, I pray faith in you for salvation from sin and hell. And for those who are here today redeemed, I pray that today's joy in you and your resurrection 
will be captured the other 364 days of the year. Last risen Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you on account of your own words, which you spoke of yourself in the book of Revelation. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of Hades. We worship you, risen Christ, and we pray in your powerful name. Amen.